Listen, I want you to open your Bibles this morning. It's so good to be back together. Thank you all for tuning in last week uh, on our snow days. I want to thank the, the tech crew back there for being able to make that happen. And even with that, I know we had some challenges, and, uh, but you know what? God has a way of working through our challenges. And so today, we want to just dive into a teaching that I've been looking forward to getting to. Uh, you know, coming up in church, there were a lot of things that basically I was told you should do, right? You should go to church. You should read your word. You should pray. But there wasn't a lot of teaching on, well, how do you do that? And uh, I realized as, I, as I've grown in the Lord over these years, there's things that are more challenging than others. And in my life, one of those has really been locking into the joy of prayer. And we're in this series called Rooted. And, and it really is a word God gave me for the church to begin this year because I, I am, I'm convinced, I don't just believe, I am convinced that over these last two years, a lot of things have uprooted a lot of people from good things that God had given them. In fact, God had, God had planted them and, and habits, planted them and resource and relationships and, and, and either out of fear or just whatever, but a lot of things have been uprooted. And yet the Bible tells us that, that we are to be like trees planted by the water. There's, there's something about where God plants us that we grow. And so even through these 21 days of praying and fasting, it's really been to that thought and that concept of, God, are we, are we digging those roots deep, God? Are, are we getting into that foundational things in our lives that are not only going to make us strong as believers, but can I tell you, make us effective as God's witnesses and God's testimony to those around us. And our prayer during this time has been out of Ephesians chapter 3, Paul's prayer for the church, and I'm, I love his eloquence. He said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide, long, and high, and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Can I tell you, as your pastor, one of my deep desires for you is to never doubt how greatly you are loved by God. To never doubt how much He absolutely loves you. Can I tell you, on your worst day, our Heavenly Father loves you. On your best day, He loves you. But he, it's not about you doing well. He's loved you before you ever set foot on this earth. But we need to know that we are rooted in that and established in that. And we do that by, by putting the roots down. One of the theme thoughts we had in this is we grow up as we put our roots down. We grow stronger as we, as we put ourselves firmly attached to the foundation that God has given us. We introduce you to the Bible Engagement Project over this time. If you've not yet downloaded that and get into it, can I tell you, it'll change your, change your devotional life. It, it's really exceptional in the sense of just building in foundational principles in your life. You don't know how to do that. See Justin after the service. He was the one greeting you a while ago. And because uh, we know that the Word of God matters. The second thing we want to be rooted in is, is what we're going to talk about today, rooted in prayer. Rooted in prayer. I, I want to teach a model of prayer to us today that I've taught on in years past. It's been, it's been about four years since I've taught on this. and I know we have a lot of new folks here, so I don't feel like I'm just repeating something too soon here. But it's a, it's a, a model of prayer that God showed me back when we started the church. In fact, I was so blessed. Uh, we are part of two associations. I don't know if you know this or not. 
we are in, we are in an Assemblies of God church. We are part of the Assemblies of God, which is uh, the, the fastest and largest uh, uh, Pentecost organization around the world. But we were planted by a group called the ARC, the Association of Related Churches, which this Sunday, the ARC and its history will have now planted its 1,000th church around the nation. Now, we were church number 65 back in 2008, so you can see the, the growth that is happening there. But when I was going through their training, I was introduced to this model at a church called the Church of the Highlands, and it, and it really stuck in me because I'm a person that needs, uh, I need, I need a path to follow sometimes. I need something to help me stay focused in my prayer. As a pastor, can I tell you, prayer is hard. Because when I start praying for you guys, it's, it's difficult because it's like, well, do I pray for you or you or you or this needed? And before long, it's like, well, uh, you find, uh, one of the number one prayers of a pastor is, God, you know. <laughs> God, you know. Because uh, there's just so much to pray about. But we're taught in God's Word that there is this vibrancy that God wants us to experience through prayer. Yet statistics tell us most people, most Christians don't literally have a life of prayer they enjoy. But I think this model will help you. Ephesians 6.18 says this about prayer. It says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all of the Lord's people. And you see in there, it says there's this ongoing prayer all times. Paul's put it this way, pray without ceasing, but we do it on all occasions. We, we taught years ago a concept of pray first. Now there's a novel thought, right? Pray for first before you hit send on the email or the text or the post. Pray first before you go into the meeting with all kinds of prayers and requests. So when we see this, we recognize that there is more than one way to pray. We pray to the Father in the name of the Jesus. We know that. But there's more than one way to approach Him. So the Bible provides us with patterns and models of prayer to move us toward God. Because that's what prayer is. I believe it'll be on your screen. And then it says that prayer doesn't move God toward us. And, and it's very important you understand this. A lot of times we'll approach prayer like we got to get God's attention. You know, if we're going to get God to move toward us, we better pray right, or we better say the right things, or, or come in the right mood. But prayer doesn't move God toward us as much as prayer moves us toward God. Think about that. It moves us toward God. Now, the Hebrew writer said that we are we were able to approach the throne of God boldly through the blood of Jesus Christ, right? We, we have that confidence to come into our Father's presence. But James said that when we draw near to Him, then guess what happens? He draws near to us. There, there's this movement toward God, this, this process to intimacy, this movement towards getting the best when it comes to coming into the presence of God. And we can do that in many ways, and there are many patterns in the Scripture. Most familiar is probably the Lord's Prayer, right? Uh, and, and in Matthew 6, Luke 11, the disciples came to Jesus because they had observed Him praying, and they'd never seen anyone pray like Him before. They'd never heard anyone pray like Him before. And they were very simple and honest, but they just said, teach us to pray. And now we have the Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be. And, and honestly, in our culture, that prayer can almost become a rote statement that means nothing. And yet it's a wonderful pattern of prayer. But I want to introduce a new pattern to you today, kind of found in the Old Testament, that I know changed my walk with the Lord, changed my way of praying. And so that now that discipline of prayer, it really comes with a joy. It fits my personality. If it doesn't fit your personality, then I'll, I'll give you another pattern, okay? And here's what I'm going to tell you up front today. I'm going to give you a lot of information, a lot of scriptures, a lot of notes. Don't feel like you need to write them down. On our website, under Connect, 
there is a resource tab. If you click on that, there's a PDF that says Tabernacle Prayer, and pretty much every bit of this is going to be there for you. In fact, it'll also give you scripted prayers to pray over each point. But I just wanted to settle you down, because like you can be like trying to write or snap pictures or whatever. It's all there for you. And I appreciate Justin and others putting that together for us. Look in Exodus. Go back to Exodus in your Bibles, Exodus uh, 25. In Exodus, we're reading the story of God the Deliverer. We're reading the story of the children of Israel being taken out of bondage in Egypt and God now delivering them to the promised land, these four million Hebrews that had been in slavery. And now God is bringing them on this journey. They're moving toward the promised land. And one of God's intentions was... He never intended for them to wander for 40 years. That's number one. But one of his intentions was, is when they got in the promised land, he gave them strict instructions to build a tabernacle, to build this place where he would meet with them. Because in the Old Testament, it was it, God dwelt in places. He dwelt in buildings. Now, today, can I tell you, God doesn't dwell in buildings. This is not a holy place in the sense of this is where you come to meet God. No, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God dwells in you and I. In the Old Testament, think about it. He wrote his law on tablets and dwelt in buildings, but now he writes his law on our hearts and he dwells with us. But along the way in their journey, uh, because the journey, like I said, was never intended to be a 40-year journey, but it became longer than that, he gave instructions uh, basically to build a portable building. Uh, think, come on, Hope Church, set up and tear down somebody, Right? <laughs> Pipe and drape. Nine years we did that around here. Nine years. I don't know what we were thinking, but it took us nine years to get to a building. But in that, we see the instructions where in Exodus 25, verses 8 and 9, the Lord said, have them make a sanctuary for me, and I'll dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. And for the next several chapters, very specific detail of some things I'm going to share with you today. And this pattern serves as a pattern of prayer. In fact, put up the picture of the, of the tent of meeting. So this is, this is what I want you to get in your minds today. So this is the tent of meeting. This is the portable church, so to speak. A tent without a top, basically. And in that place, there are, there are pieces of furniture that, that are going to be very significant in this pattern of prayer. But this was the place where God would come down and basically he would meet with Moses face to face. In fact, Exodus 33, 11 says the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a friend. Do you think we'd approach prayer differently if we really visualize the fact that God is waiting to speak to us as one would with a friend? Would it be a little different if we understood that God longs for us to communicate for Him? I believe we'd pray better and pray more if we understood that, that God longs for us and wants us to spend time <clears throat> with Him. But we overcomplicate that, and, and I, today I want to break that out. So that, that, that tent of meeting is where Moses is the leader, and later the priests would come and they would hear from God. They would represent the children of God before him. And he would come together, and there would be this place called the outer courts, that outside of the building, and then these furnishings that all are going to speak into, into how we approach God in our prayer. And we begin with what we call the outer courts. So put the picture back up for just a second. So basically, before they ever entered into the gate to, to come into this setting where the fencing is, it was known as the outer courts. And in, in a prayer model, there's much scripture that talks about when we're coming into God's presence is a place where we come in with praise. So to come into the outer part, court, that's where we give God thanks for what he's done and praise him for who he is. 
The psalmist put it this way in Psalm 106, verse, I mean, Psalm 100, verse 4. I enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. Can I tell you, it changes the way we approach our God when before we start telling God what he needs to do and we give him, here God, here's your to-do list in my life, that we would stop and give him thanks for everything he's already done. Because can we tell you, we talked about testimony a few weeks ago. I don't know if you remember to bring them or not. We asked you to, to bring in your testimony because can I tell you, we don't take enough time to stop the pause and say, God, thank you for all you've done. God, thank you for who you are. Thank you, I took a breath this morning. God, thank you, I'm able to do this even right now. Can I tell you, here's typically how we approach God. God, we're in a hurry. I've got to get to work. I've got to get the kids to school. I've got to get over here. I've had my coffee. You've got five minutes, God. Here we go. And this is what I need you to do. Can I tell you, that gets old. It gets old to us personally, but i got to believe it gets old to God too. It's okay to pray that way in a crisis, but I'm going to tell you, not every day is a crisis. If your every day is a crisis, come and see me after service. We need to set up some counseling and talk a little bit, okay? Because God gives us peace. God gives us a path of joy, and God gives us a rhythm of life when we make Him first above all things. You see, when we come into the outer courts with thanksgiving, what, what we do is this. Gratitude has a way of turning what we have into enough. It has a way of taking what we have and settling in our spirit that it's enough. And now we, now we have this attitude of, well, Lord, if you, if, you didn't, if you don't do anything else in my life, God, you've already done enough. Amen. God, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. God, if I have one more prayer request, God, if you do nothing else, God, you've done enough because you saved me. God, you gave me your son, you gave me your spirit, and God, I'm not going to ask you for anything more until I've already thanked you for what you've done, because in everything give thanks, this is the will of God. The psalmist wrote in Psalm 103, and this is a, it's a good way to kind of focus you in on this. He said, praise the Lord, O my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Come on, you can start right there. He forgives you of your sins and heals your diseases. He redeems you from the life, your life from the pit and crowns you with the love and compassion who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Amen. Let me break it down for you. You say, Pastor, I don't know what to thank God for. Here we go. Number one, begin to thank Him for your salvation. Begin to thank him that he counted you worthy so the blood of his own son was shed on the cross at Calvary. He gave us our salvation. Number two, you can thank him that he is your healer. Some of you know what it is to be touched by God. Some of you have been, been walking in healing. Some of you have been praying and believing for healing. Can I tell you, he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God that heals. You can thank him. He's redeemed you. He didn't pick you up because of you being better than anybody else. He redeemed you because you're, you're his own. He created you in his image. He loves you, and he knows that sin bore a great price in your life, and he redeemed you to himself. Here's number four you can praise him and thank him for. You have been transformed by God. Amen. If your testimony is not this, here's, here's a simple testimony for somebody, all right? I'm not what I used to be in the grace of God. That's a good testimony. I'm not yet what I'm going to be, but I'm telling you what, I'm not what I used to be. Because you and I are both all works in progress. 
but God is transforming us from the inside out. And then finally, God, you have blessed me. God, you have blessed me. Can I tell you, we need to spend more time thinking about the blessings of God in our life. We need to think more times about, about the goodness of God. In this season we've been living in that's so negative, could it be that the church becomes people that are walking around just blessing God all the time and saying, God, I'm not going to have a breath, God, that doesn't begin with, Lord, you are blessing me. God, I thank you. So we start there. We enter his courts with thanksgiving, his gates with praise. And then when we come inside, there's something called the brazen altar. There's a, there's a picture we have of it and it's where we focus on the cross but something is built something like this there's very specific detail again in, in exodus 25 26 27 and 28 and this was the altar where they sacrificed an animal before god all right so the priests would come in and pre present an offering to god on behalf of god's people and the reason was is simply this you cannot approach god in sin <laughs> sin separates us and so blood had to be spilled because of the sins that had been committed. The New Testament puts it this way, the shedding of blood for the remission of our sins. There's a, there's a change that takes place. And it reminds us of something so critical, and that is this. Since the fall of man in the garden, in order to enter in the presence of God, something had to die. Now think about that when we come to the cross. They had to, as they're coming into that place of working their way to the Holy of Holies to be in the presence of God, they had to see something dead in their place in order to approach their God. And it points us to what Jesus did on the cross. Listen, the only reason I have to approach a holy God is what Jesus Christ did for me. I, I can't show up and like, hey, I'm Mike, I'm a preacher, I'm special. No, I am a sinner saved by grace, washed in the blood of the Lamb. And because of that, now I have confidence, I have access to come in to the Holy of Holies. You see, it's in that moment after we thank God for all He's done for us that we stop and we praise God for the cross of Christ. Now, if you notice, we're in step two. We haven't asked God for anything yet. But we're coming, we're thanking for what He's done, and now we are remembering the cross. Isaiah 53, 5, we quoted, or I, I misquoted a lot uh, during communion. But it says, but we, He was pierced for our transgressions what are transgressions it's what i've done in the past it's when i've gone too far it's when i've crossed the line it is basically what i've done and he says he was pierced his hands were pierced his feet were pierced for our transgressions he was crushed for our iniquities when they speak of the crushing it's when the the spear was thrust into the heart of our our savior on the cross he was crushed for our iniquities what's what's an iniquity iniquity is just our condition it's, it's our soul. It's the evil intent in the hearts of man outside of God. It's our attitudes, our lust, our pride, our greed. It, it, it's who we are without Christ. But he was crushed for that. So he, he already made a provision for there. The punishment, the word says, that brought us peace was on him. The punishment is referring to the crown of thorns that were thrust on our Savior's head. He experienced, I love this, he experienced pain in his brain to give me peace to overcome anxiety, worry, and fear. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. If you're eating up with anxiety, worry, and fear, can I tell you, he, was, he had pain in his brain so that you can think differently. We need to claim that, and we need to come to that and thank Him for that. And then the Word says, and by His wounds we are healed. Every place that's not whole, every place that needs a touch, whether it's in my mind, my body, my relationships, He's made provision. So I want to give you four points to help you remember this. So basically, you think about the cross. The first thing is the nails. The nails that are put in His hand and His feet, they, they provide me freedom from my past. And aren't you glad there's freedom from your past? No one's going to make you stand up and say, tell me about your past been forgotten i loved how 
uh, in the church I grew up in, they'd always say, it's under the blood. Let's keep it that way. Some of you take too much pleasure in, in telling us of your past. Sometimes I think you're dragging it along like a dead weight. You need to let it go. That's not who you are anymore. There's a time where that story ends because you've been made a new creation in Christ Jesus. Am I preaching to somebody this morning? You need to let it go. There are some, literally, I know, if I'm going to have coffee, you're going to tell me all your whole story again. I've heard it so many times. Stop living in the past. Right. I, I, nobody can help you there. But a price has been paid that you can live now in the presence of your God. So our nails find freedom for the past. The spear finds freedom in my heart. So now I can be led by not just my emotions or not led by my, my human desires, but now I, I live at a peace place because of what he did for me. The crown brings freedom from my mind. Oh my goodness. In our day and age, we need more people to understand the provision of healing is not just if you got a cold or you got a virus. We need healing in our minds. We need, to, we need that transformation of our minds, the renewing of our minds by the watching of God's Word. It's so critical, rooted, right? And then the whip that He's beaten upon His body, that brings freedom in our body. Can I tell you, you may be walking in an ailment, you may be walking in a weakness, but by His wounds you are healed, you are whole, and He is more than enough to help you no matter what your circumstance. You can walk in His freedom even when you're not whole completely, because God is working in your life. So we come to this place where we come to the outer courts, we thank Him for all He's done, we put our mind on the cross, we don't bring Him our list until we thank Him for this, and we spend time right there. Can I tell you, if you don't ever get past that on your first day of prayer, you can spend some great time with God. God, thank You for the cross. Thank You for my life. God, thank you for my family, for my church, wherever you want to go with that. We ought to stop and give God thanks. But there was another piece of furniture they would encounter as they're making their way into God's presence. And it was called the laver. And the laver is where we offer every part of our life to God. And when you see it, it, it makes sense. The laver was this, was this uh, big bowl that was lined with mirrors on the inside of it. So as the priest would come up to ceremonially wash his hands, he's seeing himself as he is. He is seeing himself as he is. You see, church, it's at the labor that we see ourselves as we are, and we have a choice. Do we consecrate ourselves to God or not? Do we give him everything or do we give him part? And it's at that place at the labor where it kind of speaks into what Paul said in Romans 12. In Romans 12, 1, when he said, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. There, there ought to be this consecration, and, and there's ways we do that, and I think it's so critical in this prayer. If you think about it, we've, we've come with thanksgiving. God, we, we thank you for all you've done. We've taken time to focus on the cross and what really matters that centers our life, and now we take ourselves and we offer it to God. I do it physically because I get distracted too easily, so I do it physically. I start here. I, I'm like, God, I'm going to give you my brain. <laughs> God, let, it be, let my mind be transformed, God, and used by you. God, let my thoughts be on you, God, or my thoughts be on things you want me to think about, God, and not consume with things that have no eternal value whatsoever. Amen. Then I go to my eyes. God, help me to focus on you and help me to focus on someone besides myself. Help me, God, to focus on the needs of others. God, help me to see people through your eyes. If you've never prayed that, that'll change your life. God, let me see people the way you see them. Because yeah. can I tell you what? We don't see people properly. We see them through the lens of our past, our judgment, our culture, our context. 
God sees them as sheep without a shepherd of their loss. He sees them as broken and hurting, but he sees them as his, and he's got a claim on their life, and he's using you and I to help them find their way back to their creator. So God, let us see people through your eyes. God, let my ears be tuned to you, and let me tune the world out, somebody. This fast, I told you, some of you guys, if you haven't participated yet, just turn off your news feeds, talk radio, whatever else for about five days and think about how clear your mind is going to be. Because sometimes we need to tune the world out to tune God in. Here's, here's a big one for a lot of us. God, I give you my tongue. God help us. This is one challenging with me. Anything you're good at, the devil can make evil. Uh, so, you know, a lot of us are verbose. We were good at talking, but Satan can really take it and make a bad thing out of that. That's why the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4 said that, that no one host, let no unwholesome talk come out of our mouths except that which is for the building up of others. So God, we give you our tongue. I, I go to my hands. God, let these hands be hands of hope and healing. God, I go to my feet. You said the steps of the righteous are ordered by God. Let me walk in your way. And then just kind of make sure I didn't miss anything. I say, God, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, God. It's yours. So Lord, help me to take care of it. Let me help me to do all I can, God, to stay in the game so that, Lord, you can use me for your glory. Because after all, I've only got one of these. And I don't get to pick out a new one as I age. So now we've come to this place where now we're ready to enter into the Holy of Holies. We're entering the holy place. We come to that place. You remember the picture? There was the tent inside the, inside the walls. And then when he opens the tent, he comes to something that's very familiar. It's a candlestick. You've seen it before. And it's where we invite the work of the Holy Spirit into our lives. Now, now, now put it up. It's, it's the menorah. You're familiar with this. It's that, it's that candlestick. And it's a very, very critical place of our prayer. Because it's here where we're asking God for the power of the Holy Spirit. We're asking God for His anointing on our gifts. And we're asking Him for the presence of the Holy Spirit to be very real in our lives. It's here that I pray, Holy Spirit, stir up within me, God, the gifts you've given me. Stir, stir me up. Use me, Lord, to bring glory to your name. And, and, and there I declare, and it's so critical in this point, I declare my dependence on the Holy Spirit. I, this is where I always hit the place in prayer. I'm like, God, Mike can't do much. But God, with you, all things are possible. God, the things you've called me to be, the things you've called me to do, God, I can't be a good husband without your Holy Spirit working in me, God. I can't be a good friend, God, without your Holy Spirit working with me. I can't be a good father, much less a pastor. So I declare my dependence on the work of the Holy Spirit. We sang about it today. It's not by might, not by power, but by the Spirit of the Lord. So the Lord says the Lord Almighty. And it reminds me of how much I need a fresh and filling every day. It's not enough to come to church once a week and say, I've done my spiritual thing. It's not enough. You're running on empty before you get out of the parking lot, people. You get in the car and Satan's jumped on one of your conversations. You're already arguing among your kids and you're already fighting over where you're going to lunch. Can I tell you? It's like gone. The dove has flown. We need to come back and say, Lord, today, fresh filling of your Holy Spirit. God, make me new today. Because I don't know about you guys, but there are times I grow weak. And I pray, God, when I'm weak, the word says you are strong, God. And so, God, I'm asking you to breathe new life into me today, Father. Lord, I don't want to live off yesterday. I don't want to live off 20 years ago, God. I don't want to go back and be historical, God. I want to be fresh and relevant in you this moment. And I love the promise in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 20, verse 20. 
He said that a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not stump out. In other words, when we are weak, the Lord says, that's okay, I'm going to come alongside of you. When our flame feels like it's a flicker and it's about to go out, he's, oh, I'm going to come breathe new life on it. And I'm, going to, I'm going to bring you back. Why? Because you're dependent upon me. I'm going to give you three scriptures real quick. And I told you I'm overloading you today. That's why the PDF is there when you can get home. But three scriptures that I, that I pray through in these times. And again, you may find different ones, but they're critical to me. Isaiah 11:2 says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. How many know we all need a little more wisdom? God, you said if we ask for wisdom, you'll give it to us liberally and you don't get upset for us asking. So God, I need your wisdom today, God. God, I need your understanding. God, I, I, need, to, I need to see things through your eyes. God, give me the spirit of counsel that something I say to somebody might actually make sense and help them. Uh, and, and the spirit of might. And Lord, that I would walk in the knowledge of you, God, and the fear of the Lord, that I never get arrogant about my walk with you, God. Because God is not, a, he's not like us. He, he's a holy God. And I love him, but I also have a fear and reverence and honor for him. So I pray through this. Then I pray through the fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, 22 through 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. If you want to measure how you're growing in the Lord, look for these things. God, am I more loving than I used to be? God, am I more patient than I used to be? God, is there more self-control? These are the fruit of what he develops in us as we are rooted in him. And then finally, I would pray for 1 Corinthians 14, 1, where it says, follow the way of love and eagerly desire the gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. Basically, what I'm saying is, God, use me however you want to. God, whatever, you gift, whatever gift you want to flow in my life, God, use me the way you want to. God, if you want to give me the spirit of wisdom, then God, I'll, I'll walk in that. God, if you want to give me the gift of knowledge, I'll walk in that faith. God, if you want to work miracles in my life, that's great. If you want to give me the, the gift of prophecy, the Word says I should desire that, or the discerning of spirits or tongues and interpretation of tongues. Whatever you want to do, God, I'm yours. And I pray, God, according to 2 Timothy 1, that you fan into flame the gift of God, which is in us through the laying on of hands. For the Spirit of God gives us, does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Church, let me tell you, every one of you has a calling on your life. We prayed over Michaela a while ago. Her calling is to kids, but every one of us have a calling on our lives. And every one of you are gifted. You've been given gifts by the Holy Spirit. And the Bible says we have a responsibility to, to fan that flame, to, to build it back up. And that only comes in our prayer. God, use me. God, may, someone asked me a long time ago, Mike, what's the best spiritual gift? And I say, very simple, the one that's needed the most in the moment. Because none of the gifts are better than the others. So someone prophesies, whoo, good job, okay? But that's no better than a, a word of knowledge or wisdom or, or any of the others. Whatever gift is needed in the moment, that's the gift that's the most important and we must seek it, and we must ask God to bring it into our lives. You see, here's the choice we have. We, we can either live a dormant life that is only as effective as our natural talents, or we can live a life that can only be explained by the work of God being carried out in us through the power of His Holy Spirit. And I don't know about you, but I choose the second one of those. So Holy Spirit in the candlestick, remind me, I need you. You guys doing okay so far? I know this is a lot. It's fire hose preaching. I don't like doing this, but there's only way to do it. So let's move into the next one, all right? You ready? This one gets good. The next one is the table of showbread. It's where they'd have 12 
loaves of fe- fresh baked bread on the table. And I, and I know we're fasting right now. And I know the Bible doesn't include it, but I got to believe there's some butter and honey somewhere close by. You know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm confessing. I'm smelling it right now. I'm like, I, I, I want bread so badly right now. Bread is my, my default, okay? But the bread had the symbolism of, of what you would expect it to be, and that is that we would learn to claim the promises of God's Word. Jesus said in Matthew's Gospel, the man should not live by bread alone, but by every word that God has spoken, right? It represents that Word of God in my life. And so in our prayer time, can I tell you, your prayer time should involve your Bible, It's not exclusive. Bring it together because in your prayer time, that's where you take time to read in God's Word. And we see the promises that are made and we do that. Joshua 1.8 says, Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. We like that, don't we? God, I like prosperous and successful. But he says that comes when you meditate on the Word, so we must read the Word. There's that Bible engagement project we gave you. We've got to learn to get it into our spirit. Can I tell you, a friend of mine put it this way, you read until you get a revelation. In other words, you you need to read until something speaks to you, right? You need to read until there's something you can take out of it. And when you have that attitude going in, you find those things a whole lot quicker. Because you're looking for it. God, your word is living and active, God. Sharper than a two-edged sword. It'll divide soul and spirit, God. It'll reveal everything about me, Father. So if I'm going to come into the word, I'm not reading it. I'm not reading it and say, oh, I got my devotion done today. I'm reading it, God, because I want you to speak to me. God, the best way you speak is through your word. And you can be in Deuteronomy or you can be in Ephesians and God can speak to you. But we've got to be people that feast on God's word. Why? Because when we do it, I love this. It becomes a weapon in our hands. It becomes a weapon in our hands. The Bible says in Ephesians 6, verse 10, and then in verse 18, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. And one of those pieces of armor, he said, take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray. Church, can I tell you, look at the temptation of Christ in the Gospels. Everything he did to defeat Satan was, but the Word says, but the Word says, but the Word says. Let us be people of the Word in 2022, amen? Let it get into our spirits. Let it grow in us. Maybe we form some groups around the Word of God instead of other things, and we just come and say, what's he saying to you? Because God's Word will set the standard in your life, and you won't be so shaped by culture anymore, but you'll be shaped in the image of God when His Word dwells in you richly. So we go to the showbread. Are you getting the pattern here? Oh, my goodness. You think, Mike, this sounds like it's going to take two hours. Do it in 10, 15 minutes. God, I'm coming in. God, I'm going to thank you for what you've done, Father. I'm going to tell you how good it is to be your child, Father. God, I'm going to take a moment. I'm going to thank you for the cross. And I'm going to remind myself what you did for me on the cross. God, I'm going to, I'm going to take time to, to speak about those things, God, and allow you to remind me how good you are. Then, Father, I'm just going to consecrate my body to you today. God, I don't want to walk out the door. I don't want to sit in front of the computer. I don't want to talk to my kids unless, Lord, I am fully yours, Father. And I consecrate myself to you, Father. And then, Lord, I need your Holy Spirit. Lord, I need your Holy Spirit. God, I need your Holy Spirit. That's probably my number one prayer every day is, Father, fill me fresh with your Holy Spirit. I grew up in a tradition that made it sound like that was a one-time experience. 
But oh, he gives you a fresh filling every time you come in his presence. God, fill me with your spirit. And then, Lord, let me feast on your word. Let me get into the promises of God. Let me spend some time there. And when I do that, it leads me to the last thing before I go into the Holy Holies, and that is the altar of incense where, God, now I'm going to worship your name, Father. It is this, it's this altar. You can show the picture of it. It's, uh, it's kind of really fancy, and they take coals off the other altar, and they bring it in there, not to sacrifice anything, but, but this is where the, the incense uh, uh, begins to be raised up to our God. It's like Bed Bath and Beyond on steroids. I mean, it's just there's something there, and I, I always struggle because that place gives me a headache. But it's a good imagery, okay? Because there's something about something rising up to our God that pleases Him, and we just did that today. Because this is where we're reminded to worship God. Can I tell you, worship is different than praise. Praise is for what He has done. Worship is for who He is. Let me say that again. Praise is for what He has done. Worship is for who he is. And I don't know what you do in this place. I know what I do. I, I, I hit Spotify, I hit a little list of praise, worship songs. I just, I, I come into his presence my way. I, I come to offer him worship. I come to, to be that sweet smelling savor to him. It's what the psalmist said in Psalm 95. It says, come, let us bow down and worship. It, it, wasn't, it didn't even hurt you to, to, to get on your knees in that moment and uh, to just be before our God and let me kneel before the Lord our maker for he is our God and we are his people and the people of his pasture, the flock under his care. You know, there's something powerful about just humbling yourself before God in worship. It's something my desire for Hope Church in 2022, we, we become more free in. There's something about forgetting about everybody around you and saying, God, if you ask me to kneel, I'm going to kneel right now, God. God, if you ask me to shout, I'm going to shout, God. If you ask me to clap my hands, God, I'm going to clap my hands. Why? Because it's not about me, God. I want to worship the King of kings and Lord of lords. And God, you've given me all the psalms to show me how you like to be worshipped. So God, I might as well come to that place. And Lord, if you said to bow down and worship, it reminds me of a saying that one of my mentors used to say, and that was a man on his face can never fall from that position. In other words, when you're humbling yourself from God, you're not worried about falling into sin or temptation. No, you're there in the presence of God, and we're worshiping Him and worshiping His name. Really quickly, I'm going to walk through something very quickly. It'll be on the PDF, but just, again, if I'm trying to help you develop some habits. One way that you might do this, and this, this was taught if you were doing the Lord's Prayer even. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. There, there are seven names of God in the Old Testament that, uh, that speak to who He is in our lives. And they're going to just come on the screen here. And again, they're in the PDF. But, you know, I, I walk through them. Lord, you are Jehovah's Sitkanu. God, you're my righteousness. I got nothing to offer, God, to you but you. <laughs> you make me righteous, God. You're the one. You see your son when you see me, Father. And you are my righteousness. You are Jehovah Imkadesh. You are my sanctifier. You know what that means? It keeps on getting better. <laughs> He's moved me day to day, glory to glory. He's changed me the inside out. You are Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, you are my healer. And I stop right there and I begin to pray over my wife. I pray over myself. I pray over you. You are Jehovah Jireh. Come on, somebody. My provider, his grace. Some of y'all know the old song. Anyway, come on, let's go. Jehovah Nisi. I never understood this one quite right. Jehovah Nisi, my banner. You know what that is? If you ever been to a basketball game or a football game and maybe they've won a championship, and what do they do? They hang a banner up in the, in the, in the rafters, right? 
Well, in, the, in this sense, in the battle, if they got, kind of got lost, they'd look for the banner. But I read a, a little different interpretation of this week, and it really it made more sense to me, and that was this. <laughs> when Satan's coming in like a flood, and he's trying to deceive you or discourage you, you're like, <laughs> you forget, Satan. We are champions in the name of Jesus. We are more than conquerors in Christ. Look at the banner. Jehovah Nisi. You've been defeated, Satan, so go away. You're pesky. Go away. Drop it, right? Jehovah Nisi. You are Jehovah Shalom. God, you are my peace. Oh, man. We need peace. You're Jehovah Ra, my shepherd. And I love Jehovah Shammah. God, you're there. God, wherever you lead me, you're there. God, whatever you want to do, you're there. God, my hope, my trust are in you. And now we come to the place that is so privileged. In fact, in their day, only a few people got to do this. And that was we go behind the veil into what they called the Holy of Holies. In fact, that's where you would find the Ark of the Covenant. Y'all, you know, it's where we intercede. But put the picture up. Raiders of the Lost Ark, but your face doesn't melt. It's okay. That's a good imagery of it, right? They, they actually painted, did it well in that movie. Not the face-melting thing, but the Ark. It was so holy to come to this place because that's, that's the mercy seat. That's, that's where they would put blood even on that as, as the prayers would go up to God. It was such a holy place that if you were the priest going in, this would make you real confident, they would tie a rope around your ankle before you walked through the veil. Because just by chance, you went through all those other things and you didn't really confess your sin and you just kind of were going there because you're the priest, you're the guy. You're going to die in God's presence. And they'd have to pull you out by your ankle. Boy, that, that's a task. No, let's sign up to be the priest. No, thank you. Right? But think about this. When Jesus went to the cross and died for us, the Word of God says the veil was torn in two. The, the, the barrier between us and God was ripped in two. And not only that, now we don't come in with a, a rope tied around our ankle in case God's going to kill us. No, we come in with boldness and confidence because the blood of Jesus. So now when we see the Ark of the Covenant, we come to this place, we begin to thank God there's no barrier and there's no fear of approaching you, God. And when I believe that, God, now I can come in and intercede with joy, God, because you've called me to be a person that recognizes, God, not only your presence, but, God, the purpose of your presence. And that's not to be a narcissist assist in the spirit so much of this generation all want to come into god's presence and just, hmm, so he can bless me he's blessing you all the time but when you come into the ark of the covenant of the holy of holies he said now i want you to intercede for others first timothy 2 i urge you then first of all that petitions prayers intercession and thanksgiving be made for all people for kings and all those in authority that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness who do we intercede for i'm gonna help you out all right i've had people say mike i, I go to pray man like five minutes i'm i'm done i don't have much to say let me help you out here number one he said we're to pray for those in authority in our lives how many have authority in your lives let me see your hands some of y'all have no authority in your lives. Man, we really do need to talk after service. Huh. Maybe we ought to pray for our government. I don't know. Just a thought. How about leaders in the church? Do you pray for me? I hope you do. I know you do. Leaders in your family. If you have living parents, do you pray for them? Maybe in the workplace. When's the last time you paid for your boss? That's a thought. 
and not Old Testament language, okay? Some of y'all get that. We're to pray for those in authority over us. Here's the second thing we ought to pray for. We ought to pray for those who are marginalized in this life. Those that suffer injustice around us, we need to pray for them. If any point in your life that you don't recognize how blessed and good you got it, if you don't recognize that, you'll never pray for those that don't have it. And we're to pray for the marginalized in our lives, those suffering injustice. We're to pray for the poor. We're to pray for the widowed. We're to pray for the weak. We're to pray for our family, both immediate and our extended family members. Call them by name. Get them before our God. Growing up, my grandpa, my mama's side, he, he was Paul Paul. How I many had a Paul Paul in your life? But Paul Paul was a dangerous prayer. In fact, you never wanted Paul Paul to pray at Thanksgiving. Because he would get into the place where we're going to pray over the food and you're like smelling it all. And he would name every member in the family. And we had a big family. And I'm like, I don't care about Uncle Joe. I want some turkey. But uh, his habit was good. In fact, one of my early memories as a child is when I'd stay at their house. Every night I'd hear him beside his bed calling out my name in prayer. Pray for your family. Pray for your church. Pray for your pastors and your leaders and for members and missionaries and When's the last time you prayed for Scott and Kathy Miller, our missionaries who are sending out to Germany? Lift them up. They're still out there trying to raise the funds to get there. Pray for our, our, our leaders of our youth, our kids, our food pantry, all these things. Guys, we can't do it without the prayers of God's people. And pray for our community. Pray for the people in this city. Pray for people in the nation. Pray for the world around us. Pray for relationships. Pray for your friends, your coworkers, your acquaintances. And finally, and this is a fun one, pray for your adversaries those that don't agree with you. And the prayer is not so that they would agree with you. The prayer is that you will love them with the love of God. Because I find so quickly when you love people with the love of God, they're not your adversaries anymore. And we may go to heaven disagreeing with each other over certain things, but we'll walk as one in God's love together. So I know this is a lot, and that's why we put this on the website. I know, I know it's a different kind of a Sunday morning teaching for you, but I'm so convinced Guys, we need to re-engage to be rooted in prayer. We need to be rooted in prayer. It, 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 it doesn't matter that you remember all the pieces of the tabernacle. It's not, you're, not, you're not in prayer tomorrow like Mike said, there's an altar of something. That's not what's important. It's the remembrance of this. Give thanks to our God. Come on, come into his courts of thanksgiving. Take a moment and focus on the cross. Say, say, God, I thank you, Lord, that you are wounded. God, for my transgressions, you were bruised for my iniquities, God. The, the, the punishment of peace was upon you, and by your stripes I am healed, God, by your wounds. Then I offer myself to God. I invite the work of the Holy Spirit. I begin to claim the promise of God's word. I worship his name. And then, then, God, then I intercede, God, for others. You say, Mike, nowhere in here did you tell me to pray for myself. Well, yeah, I did. You see, when you consecrate yourself to the Lord, guess what he does? He meets all your need according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And so you don't have to spend the rest of the time focused on you, me, me. You begin to pray for others. Can I tell you, when you pray for others, it releases a blessing in your life that cannot be contained.